0: CAH Pulse is developed by CARES Foundation to educate and connect the CAH community. Since our guests aren't scripted and are free to speak their minds, their views and opinions do not necessarily reflect the views and policy of CARES Foundation. Now, we hope you enjoy the podcast. Made possible by Neurocrine Biosciences. You deserve brave science.
1: Hello everyone, and welcome to CAH Pulse. I'm Stephanie Erb, actress, and I also have a child with CAH. And with me is my co-host, Dina Matos, Executive Director of the Cares Foundation.
0: Hello, Dina. Hi, Stephanie. We're here to share patient journeys so those living with CAH, including caregivers and loved ones, can gain insight and hope about living a full, happy life with this challenging condition. We're so excited to have Lindsay, who is our guest for today. Um, Lindsay, tell us something about yourself.
2: Hi, um, my name is Lindsay. I am from the Midwest. I was born with classic CAH. It's been a part of my life for 30, 31 years.
1: Welcome, Lindsay. How do you feel that growing up with CAH affected your perspective on life?
2: Um, that's a, such a good question. I, I agree with one of your previous guests that you had on that my maturity was affected. I was responsible for more at such a young age. I would also just say my, my tolerance for <laughs> being in a hospital or being at a doctor's office was it just seemed like my friends had not been through as much.
1: Oh, most certainly they had not. <laughs>
2: Yeah, those kinds of things were different for me. Yeah. Right, right. Did you grow up a typical kid with friends, you know, activities? Yeah, so I would say that growing up, I thought of myself as a very normal kid. I was very active as a kid, so I had broken arms and twisted ankles and bike ride accidents and stuff like that.
1: When you were born, did they know what you had right away?
2: Yes, so there was some confusion in the hospital um, amongst my medical team just with what was going on. 30 years ago, there was no testing prenatal. Right, there was no newborn screening for CH. Right, so whenever I was born, they were, you know, bum-fuzzled about what was going on, and they were um, going to send me home with no answers, which being salt-wasting, classic CAH, probably would not have been a great situation. Right. An intern for the doctor that was on the floor at the time had caught it. She figured it out, cracked the code before my parents left the hospital.
1: Wow. This intern figured it out. Correct. So we have some parents who are helicopter parents and some parents that go, you're going to have a typical childhood and uh, we're not going to worry about it. What, What was their attitude with you growing up?
2: I don't remember having like this big talk or anything. Um, I think it was just part of life, taking medication. Right. And that was kind of my first thought of like, my brother's not taking this stuff. And, you know. When did you know that you had
0: CH? Did your parents tell you at some point when you were old enough to understand
2: what it was? I knew at doctor's appointments that we were saying the words congenital adrenal hyperplasia. So I knew that. But I mean, the conversation's so big and there's so many uh, intricate parts of what it all entails that it, it wasn't age appropriate. So, okay. I would say my parents were maybe the opposite of helicopter parents. They wanted me to be. Very, very normal. But I think a lot of what was happening was happening behind my back. (laughs) Conversations with teachers or conversations with school nurses were happening with me, not in the room.
1: To keep you safe.
2: Right, right. Yes. Conversations about what to do when X happens or, you know, those kinds of conversations. And as a kid, I just felt normal until, you know, I end up in the hospital for a week with the flu when my friends are thinking, I had the flu last week and I didn't go to the hospital, you know?
1: Yeah. Did, did you have injectables at school in the, you know, school years? Did someone have injectables for you for emergencies? I do
2: have one now. Yes. Um, I think I was just left so in the dark, but at seven years old, that may be the appropriate thing to do.
1: You know, I feel like as a parent of a CH kid, there is no appropriate thing to do. There's just what you do. Were you having a lot of adrenal crises or were they few and far between?
2: Yeah. So I would say maybe one or half an adrenal crisis per year. In the initial talk with my parents, um, I had been in the hospital for a couple weeks post birth and my endocrinologist had told them expect about a week, a year in the hospital, maybe to just prepare them for what they were up against. Yeah, I feel
1: like at that time, probably they didn't even know. There's a lot of medical guessing going on early on with CAH that now we have better answers for. Thank goodness.
0: Right. There wasn't a lot of education. Yeah. Right. So, Lindsay, you said that at seven years old, you really didn't need to know a lot about your condition. Is there a point in your life, maybe when you're a teenager, that you wanted to talk about your condition?
2: Family culture builds so much of this condition. And so it's, it's almost like a magnifier, right? Like Christmas is a magnifier of what you're already feeling. I think about that a lot. Like When the holidays roll around, if you're happy, you get really happy. If you're sad, you get really sad. So I feel like with the CAH condition, it was a magnifier of how my family treated normal everyday things. Yep. So I had a surgery at 12 years old. It was pretty massive surgery. I was in the hospital for five days. I don't remember much, but I do remember the conversation was, this will be a surgery that you will care about later in life. And that was really it. <laughs> And so yeah. when you're seven, you're just on the playground at recess. But then at 12, you're adjusting to prepubescent years. Mm-hmm. There's just so much more going on. Um, I feel like there are age-appropriate conversations to be having with your kid. Did those conversations happen I would with say you? mostly no. Did you
1: ever get a book on CAH or any kind of literature on CAH and the various issues that can occur? Oh, no. No, none of that. Not (laughs) even when
2: you were in your late teens? No. There was nothing? No, no. No, there was nothing like that happening.
0: Got it. So how did the fact that those conversations weren't happening, how did that make you feel?
2: That really didn't hit me until probably mid-20s when I thought, I mean, these were questions I was asking myself. What has happened? What's going to happen? And I feel like if I had any advice for parents it would be create that relationship outside of CAH, that, like be a safe place outside of the conversation of CAH, mm-hmm. and then that will all follow. Yeah. Lindsay, did you go to college? I did go to college. I ended up going to college on a softball scholarship. I played softball and basketball growing oh, up. Cool. <laughs> I was very devoted. So, you know, yeah, I just... Normal life stuff.
1: And did you find that when you went to college, I assume away from home, that you had to sort of up your awareness of CH?
2: Yes, and no. (laughs) Um, I feel like in the conversation with my parents about college, there were some concerns. So I ended up going to college about 45 minutes away from home within driving distance. I had some options in other parts of the country and uh, was discouraged from those. (laughs) And I don't feel like I've been shorted or I don't feel like I missed out. Were you discouraged by your parents, by your doctors who discouraged you? By my parents specifically.
1: And as contrast, I live in LA and my kid is in Ohio at school. And there's not a lot of CAH experts in Ohio either. So it's been a little nerve wracking. My kid doesn't listen to anything I suggest. So it's like, I'll do the opposite. So <laughs> I should have used reverse psychology, but I didn't.
2: That's what they had to do on my brother. Yeah. <laughs> so
1: Lindsay, are there, when you were in college, were there a group of friends who knew that you had CH that kept, watched your back?
2: Um, I would say I was really, really fortunate to land a roommate that ended up turning into my best friend. Um, And she she was a nursing major. Oh, And I said, okay, here's your your practice in between classes. (laughs) But no, she had that mindset um, in everyday life. That's what she was gifted to do. And so I was really, really fortunate to have someone that I was able to have that conversation with. That's amazing. I've had roommates since that I've had that conversation with but in a way that doesn't instill panic or instill fear. <laughs> do you wear yeah. a medical alert bracelet? I do. Um, there's a QR code now for uh, fitness watches and it is just so handy.
0: <laughs> Would an EMT for instance if you were an accident be able
2: to see them? Would they know what it is? Is it like So on the outside, it's a band and it says my ID and there's a medical uh, symbol. They scan that and they see all your information pop up. So
1: were you discouraged from like
2: alcohol and some of the partying behaviors that happen in college? I just don't drink in general. (laughs) So what a quick way to dehydrate me and then me be in a medical situation.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Right,
2: right. Well, that was
0: smart for you to, to avoid that. Lindsay, you you were giving us some advice for parents, which I think was great. Can you elaborate on that? What other advice would you have for
2: parents? Yeah, um, I would just tell parents that at the baseline, I think we can assume that our kids are going to have questions. If you You could could address those before they have to do that. Before they fester. Yeah, I would say that I had questions that weren't answered. I actually had a really big CAH talk with them spring of 2023. Oh, well, that's recent. When I was 30 years old. And that was the first time we had a mediator there just someone that I had talked to more closely than my parents about these issues and
1: that's awesome That how did you find this contact
0: um it was a friend there had to be you know years of
2: questions
0: and concerns that led to that conversation I
2: think it was a generational things are taboo so secrecy
0: yes right yes and I mean the fact that you had that conversation like at
2: 30 or in your late 20s So that was about um, four years of therapy. I think it was more like, okay, I finally realized what was going on this whole time and what all of this entailed and um, how many different... Just facets of CAH there is. And I think it was more about the relationship with my parents because it's not the CAH. It's the fact that it wasn't addressed.
1: How did that affect how you discuss it with other people or if you got into dating or anything like that? Was it something where you were upfront about the CAH to begin with?
2: So it's kind of one of those like which came first, the chicken or the egg type things um, because I had relationships, but because of the surgical history, I was not as open to a sexual relationship. So you talked about a surgery at 12, but did you have surgery as
0: an infant, as a baby?
2: Yes. So I had a surgery at 10 months old. When I was born, my dad just told me this last spring, him and the doctor were standing there And he said, male or female, I want to do right by this human being, um, whatever that means. So they did a DNA test, sent it off to a lab. Four days later, it came back and they found out I was a female from the DNA test. So from there, the plan was kind of drawn out by the medical team at that point. Right,
0: right. So it requires, you know, highly specialized.
2: So, uh early 30s currently i need another surgery so at 10 months i had one and then the kind of, the explanation i've been given from end, my endocrinologist currently is that early 90s the the medical opinion or the goal was aesthetic and so no, that was kind the of the approach there, um and now at you know 2024 the medical opinion is function and so that changes a lot about how you approach a patient, obviously.
0: In the 90s, if you were in a place where you were getting care from an expert, that would have been the case then. You know They're looking at function and your you know, prospect for fertility if you ever decided that you wanted to have children. But there's still a lot of you know, doctors who don't understand because it is not something that's done every day and it's a highly specialized surgery.
2: Yeah. So I don't know. The doctor that did my surgery was from my city. So I don't know if there was an expansive search done for an expert. Um, so you're saying now that you require further surgery, are you seeking an expert? Not currently. Um, I'm just not there. So you're, you're waiting
1: for when you right. feel that the time is right.
2: Potentially financially. <laughs> right. From what I've heard, it's optional. It falls under the optional category.
1: Um that may be different depending on what state on where
0: you go, yeah. And and when you're ready, we're happy to help right. you because we work with the top experts every day and you know it's difficult to get insurance to cover it. They have ways of doing that.
1: Don't let the insurance or the money stop you.
0: So can you talk more about that big talk about TH?
2: Yeah, so um, they were kind of unaware of what the conversation was going to be about. (laughs) Your parents were unaware. Yeah, we hadn't talked about it in a long time. And I had just gone to an endocrinologist that said, you need surgery again. And I don't think my parents were aware of that. At 12, my parents were told that I needed continued treatment, dilation treatment, and that didn't happen. I was told that they asked me, if I wanted to do it. And I said, I wanted to play outside and eat snow cones. Yeah, I mean, what do you know it's about? Exactly. Yeah, so that didn't happen. And early 20s, mid-20s roll around. There needs to be another surgery or there needs to be treatment. I didn't know who dropped the ball or... If the ball was dropped right. at all. Well, right.
1: and I think you brought up a very good point that it is a generational thing in your parents' generation. It was probably thought of as, let's just have a good time raising this kid. We don't have to talk about
0: that stuff if she's okay.
1: I hope parents now do not do that quite so often.
0: Yes, sounds like your parents and believe me I've heard this so many times from parents one they've never heard of CH and I know that you know Stephanie experienced the same thing she adopted her child and was like what the heck is this they don't understand it they don't know it and then if they don't have the option to get their child expert care that doesn't exist everywhere so certainly didn't exist 30 years ago it sounds like they were like we're just going to let her live her life. She's going to take medication, and and that's going to be the end of it.
2: I think my parents did the best with the tools that they had. Absolutely. Yep. I think that they loved me well. I think that they tried. I think that they um, were attentive with doctors that were there. Um, I just don't think that they had the, the toolbox that they needed to, or the information, or you know the community and a lot of that has to do with not
0: having that access to expert care and to support groups yeah
2: exactly yeah i would say that this condition specifically the stigma that's been surrounded i would say potential shame involved with it i would say it has made me a an advocate for openness and for honesty, and for vulnerability, in a way that I don't think would have happened otherwise. And I'm not sure if you took me back to my birth, and you gave me the decision of a 30-year-old to say, do you want this condition or not? I'm not sure that I would say I don't want it, because it has made me into a person that, number one, is just resilient. That's great. (laughs) But uh, two, like, We're going to have a lot of listeners that have been through an adrenal crisis. And when you're that vulnerable physically, um, there's something about it that just makes you enjoy life when you have health and when you have strength that I don't think a lot of people at 30 years old understand. Yeah.
1: No, it's like it's a life maturity you cannot get unless you've been through something like that.
2: Right. Yeah. I've I've heard that phrase like he was thirty years old and ten foot tall and bulletproof. And I've never felt that way, (laughs) you know, like I've never felt like there was I was just untouchable. But I think it provides a level of basic gratefulness for life and health.
1: And also would you say that you value your supportive relationships even more because you know how important they are?
2: oh for sure yeah and then also just the ability this this CAH conversation has been a roadmap to build a relationship with my parents in a on a yeah. level that I think people their age their friends they haven't That's gotten awesome. to do it with their kids yeah. they haven't been able to have those vulnerable conversation with their kids that that I'm that I'm forcing <laughs> I'm forcing them to have
0: <laughs> yeah I would guess that your parents appreciated that conversation that you initiated and with parents i know my you know my child doesn't have ch but you want them to raise those questions because you want to learn from them
2: yeah i would say you know one conversation doesn't change uh 28 years of how we do life but i think that does open up even conversations about other things. I mean, it doesn't even have to be about CAH. It can be, Mm -hmm. you know, how's that friendship going? Or how's, how's that boss treating you? Or, you know, those conversations. So Lindsay, what advice do you have for
0: other individuals living with CAH?
2: Well, I just told my sister-in-law earlier today, I was telling her about this podcast. And I said, I feel like I'm going to give them a list of what not to do and that's all they're going to have by the end of it it's just a list um age appropriate conversations are so needed they build relationship in general but they also prevent this situation where you know i'm i'm 30 years old and i'm thinking about a potential surgery do i want a relationship do i not do you know all these these questions that i feel like could have handled at 16 or 15 right Right. Um, and then the recent podcast where you said it's a more complicated version than of diabetes, you know, three weeks ago I heard that <laughs> and I'm going to use that now. This conversation and this podcast, first of all, I really just want to thank you guys for doing this podcast because I know that it's so needed. It was so needed 30 years ago, but it's so needed now too the best time to start something was yesterday but the second best time was today oh what a great thing thank you yeah thank you you
0: know we're not the ones who make the podcast it's our guests you know people like you who make it
1: I mean we really appreciate your openness and thoughtfulness about what you're sharing it's huge
0: I
2: appreciate that yeah
0: Lindsay is there um any point in the future where you would you know, want to be more involved and talk to other CH patients, like 13-year-olds, 15-year-olds, 16-year-olds?
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, pretty recently, actually, I, I had overheard a lady that I was taking a class with, and she was telling someone sitting next to her that her dog was just diagnosed with Addison's disease. I kind of gave it a double take like what is going so I caught her during the break and I said I know what that is when you go into a ER and you say I have congenital adrenal hyperplasia and the doctor looks at you like you're you know speaking another language like you have three heads then you say well it's kind of like Addison's disease (laughs) you start there and then drill it down And so I had told this lady that, and then happenstance, someone at her husband's work had a baby with congenital adrenal hyperplasia. Wow. No way. Yeah. And so pretty recently I've just been um, talking to her about it. Good for you. I mean, really right now, you know, she's an infant. So I'm giving her really practical stuff like doctor's names and. Well, make sure you
0: refer them to CARES. There are other things that, you know, they will need. And um, I'm sure you're familiar with our support groups and the calls yeah. that we have on a regular basis and the ones that meet you know, every month. The other ones who are a little bit less frequent. Are for parents of newborns up to like age five. So um, it's great that you're there for them. It takes a village to raise a CH child. So the more people they're exposed to, but yeah. that's yeah. just amazing that you know you were in the right place at the right time. It was meant to be that you had this conversation with this woman, and now you're able to support her friend.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, I think back. My I think my parents needed a village. And it just wasn't there. Yeah. It wasn't there. Yeah. At that time, especially. Yeah. So um, I would say parents that are having kids right now or have had kids in the past few years, get some friends around you that can handle this stuff. You'd be surprised at the capacity of some people that love you. And then also, don't be afraid as as your children are growing to get them resources that are not you. There's always those conversations that they're willing to have with another mentor or, you know, big brother, big sister type role in their life that they aren't ready to have with you yet. And I think that outlet has been great for me in the last 10 years. No one person could carry this all on their own. We all need community for so many different things in life, but yeah, CAH is one of them. CAH has been a part of my story, but it's not my whole story. Right. Oh, what a great thing. So how, how are you doing now health-wise?
0: I mean, you sound like you're doing great.
2: Health-wise, I'm doing, yeah, I'm doing good. Um, <laughs> my most recent adrenal crisis was about three weeks ago, so you're catching me at a bad time. But uh, came down with the flu, and then I thought it was a really bad cold. I told my mom, I was like, this is the worst cold ever. <laughs> And then overnight, it was just bad. That's scary.
1: Definitely. Did you call an ambulance?
2: Yeah, it progressed at a rate that I did not expect. My parents didn't expect. And by the time I told him, I said, you need to call 911. And by that point, we were trying to walk to the car, and I had gone unconscious. My dad no. was... Do you want me to go through like details of if you're okay with it? Well, that's reality. Yeah, it's yeah. real. Yeah. I mean, adrenal Christ growing up, I remember bits and pieces, but with this recent incident, it just kind of gives me a more vivid memory of what, what actually happens I'd come down with a really slight fever like 99.0 which causes issues when you're around nurses that aren't aware of your condition maybe. Right, they're probably right. if you're so exaggerating a little bit. So I felt the 99.0 come on and I thought, well, it's just a bad cold, I'll sleep it off. I preemptively went to my parents' house. They live a couple miles away. I currently live alone, so I didn't want to I didn't want to be in a situation that I didn't need to be in. So, I went over there. I was sleeping overnight and then I, I like every 30 minutes waking up, taking my temperature. Now, did you take any extra Cortef? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I'm I'm currently on dexamethasone and I had taken, oh my I had, I know, I know. I, I learned this from the last podcast, actually. Mm-hmm. I had tripled that. I had tripled dexamethasone. Oh my gosh, you tripled the dexamethasone? Oh my God. I know. I need help. <laughs> We all need help. <laughs> I'm
1: serious. You know what? We all need help. But Dina has experts who can talk to you about all this stuff. Okay, so go back to your Dexabeth's own story.
2: Yikes. If, is that the reason I've gained weight? Because if it is. Yes. Yes. Praise God. I would love to get off of it and lose some weight. You can. You can. We can help you. you and you really shouldn't. You shouldn't be on it for very long. Oh, ever. it's been. How, how long? How long have you been on it? It's a, probably a third of my life. We need to talk. Okay. At least. Put this on the podcast. See if my doctor listens. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I had called my mom in uh, and said, I need to get some medical attention. For me, I don't know how it is for... Um, other people I've, I don't have anybody else that I know that has CAH so it's kind of hard for me to compare but for me it's like seconds there's a big difference in my how I feel based on seconds and so I had I had sat up in the bed and then it was just like someone needs to put shoes on for me and then it was I can't even sit up and then it was I can't even keep my eyes open If I could describe it anyway, it just feels like a deflated tire. Like I have no, no energy. There's nothing. I mean, the energy.
1: Do you find it? I know my kid finds it difficult to speak. I can't get answers.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, My mom has described it as like slurred speech. And once she hears that, she knows or she can see it in my eyes for sure. Yeah. What's going on at that point? My dad had made it to the bedroom and we were trying to walk out of the house with two people holding on to me and I remember saying something along the lines of I can't make it and then I woke up in the garage on the floor. A few minutes later, the m gets there. I had actually felt better laying down and so felt, you know, I don't know if it's in, you know... I don't know what medically is happening, biologically. So
1: no one in your family gave you the shot when you passed out? No. Okay. So they were waiting for the emergency team to give you the shot, maybe.
2: Yes. And then okay. since then, I've researched the state that I live in. Actually, I got this from the CARES Foundation uh, website. The state that I live in does not keep this shot on the responding vehicles and they also won't give it if you have it so yeah that's
0: something that we've been working on and we continue to work on it Lindsay if you you know were interested in doing that we can help you you know talk to the right people and get that rolling where you live the first thing we advise you to do and I don't know if you've done this is go to your local EMS station and say look I have this condition and first of all you need to flag my house or my parents house and even your job location so that they know if they get a call you're someone with adrenal insufficiency and you need attention immediately and they need to take you to the hospital and and tell them what's what's going on with you so yeah but go, go back to your story sorry so now you are
1: on the floor of the garage and uh you are feeling a little better, and what happened? Feeling a little
2: better, I wake up to my parents passionately telling 911 what's going on. Since then, I've, we've kind of cleared up some language to, I think, when you talk to a 911 operator, saying congenital adrenal hyperplasia over and over again. That's not it, as the kids would say. You have to simplify it. Uh, steroid dependent. Uh, got IMSA to the hospital um, once there. I felt like I was going to pass out again, wasn't really being treated as if I was in an adrenal crisis. I will say that. Right. I got there at 445 in the morning when the nurse walked in at 915 a.m. She said, why have you not been given solucor Oh, my God. Uh, I can't believe you survived that. that. Yeah. Did they put you on an IV?
0: I was on on IV. um, They just let you wait. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, it's when people are alone, you know, if you were alone in your house or apartment, you know, that's more difficult. But when people are with others, we always, especially parents, we say, just give the injection no matter what and then deal with the hospital later because you want to have that in you before they do IVs or anything else. We've encouraged, you know, individuals who are living with CAH to administer the medication. But, you know, sometimes when, you're in the condition that you were in when you're full-blown crisis, you can't do that yourself.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm still learning, and I think this is probably going to be common amongst the people listening, that I'm still learning at 30 years old, 31 years old. Maybe I'm the only one that's that's going to say that. Maybe everybody's got it figured out by 31 years old.
0: No, they don't.
2: <laughs> No, absolutely
0: not. No, did you hear Leslie's interview? I
1: know, yeah. Leslie's in her 60s now, but she didn't yeah. know she had CH till
2: she was in her 50s. Yeah. Her story is incredible. If you have not heard Leslie's story, stop mine right now and go listen to Leslie's. You don't even have to come back to this one. Just go listen to Leslie. No, you definitely have to come back to this one. You definitely
0: have to come back because we have to hear how this saga ended. What happened after that?
2: Yeah, she administered it and just kind of was wondering what the overnight crew was doing. Um, And they just, I don't think they took me seriously. I had, I mean, it it was an issue. My dad ended up sending a letter because...
1: Oh good. I'm glad he did that.
2: They were talking outside my room. they I heard a guy say she thinks she has a fever, but I didn't I didn't register one, so I don't know she's just you know faking or whatever. Oh my God.
1: That's crazy.
2: When flu comes back positive, I thought, "Hmm, doesn't matter that I have a fever. So
0: how long were you in the hospital following that crisis?
2: I was only there for 36 hours. Oh, that's long enough. It felt like a week, but um, (laughs) it's only 36 hours. I will say that there were several days after I got out of the hospital where it was, I had to give it some time. (laughs) I wasn't able to just walk out and go back to a full day's work. That's right. I all these situations make more sense now that I have this fuller picture of what's been really going on. I did not dream that emailing uh, contact at caresfoundation.org would land me here, um, but it did. I was just thanking you guys, and I did not think I would be here. Um, so I had told my mom, I was like, you got to go learn about this condition that we've been dealing with for 30 years. <laughs>
1: Well, Lindsay, this has been an amazing conversation, and I think we've learned, you know, we've never covered adrenal crises in detail before, and I think your message of age-appropriate conversations is priceless, so thank you so much for being here.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. We appreciate you because you're the one who can really share what life is like living with this condition, and um, most importantly, there needs to be more education, whether it's, you know, in a medical setting. Or just for patients and parents education there's never too much and you learn from every single individual living with this condition or every family so we are so grateful to you for for sharing that because you're going to help so many people
2: i really appreciate everything you guys have done for this podcast for the cah community and for me Tina, I really appreciate
1: that Lindsay highlighted the importance of family communication. I think we haven't really covered that yet in much detail. And my hat is off to her for bringing it up even at the age of 30, when most people are like, oh, well, I'm done with my parents. I'm moving on. And it was really imperative for her to have that conversation. I love it.
0: Lindsay was great. I mean, how she talked about the importance of family and the importance of a village, you know, it takes a village to raise a child. And I think she highlighted the importance of family and friends, and how important that is to someone living with CH uh, young adults, um, in general, but she described the importance of that so beautifully. And so eloquently, and we're just so grateful for her perspective.
1: Yeah, and I feel like what I've learned from the conversations we've had thus far is that largely the people with CAH are incredibly mature people.
0: Well, it makes you grow up quickly, right? Sure.
1: People who have life-threatening disorders totally value their moments of life, Mm -hmm.
0: Well, and what I thought it was really interesting about what Lindsay said is that following her her crisis, she really appreciated life. You know, how grateful she is to be alive and, and be healthy.
1: Thank you, Dina. And many, many thanks to Lindsay for sharing her experiences with CAH. And a special thanks to our producer,
0: Amy Brooks. CH Pulse is sponsored by Neurocrine Biosciences. For more information about CH and to connect with us, please visit us at caresfoundation.org. If you like this podcast, please subscribe. I'm Dina Matos.
1: And I'm Stephanie Erb. And, and we, we
0: care. care. See you next time.